All right, great. We're uh, jumping into the word time a little earlier uh, than normal, so let's get our Bibles out and let's get to it. Uh, Won't you turn in your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6 is where we're going to be landing uh, today. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in the rack there in front of you, and we encourage you to take that. If you don't own one, we'd love for you to have that as our gift uh, to you today. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 6. Now, uh, let me just kind of set the stage here for what we're about to read. We're about to read a story, and I want you to kind of know what's behind the story. King David is now the newly appointed and anointed king of Israel. Uh, king Saul uh, was a king before. David is now the king. And uh, he's had some victory, all right? He's had, he had some wins over his enemies. But now God has put in his heart to come and to take the Ark of the Covenant and to move it into the city of Jerusalem. The Ark of the Covenant, if you remember, was that uh, box that God instructed the Israelites to construct inside of it with the Ten Commandments, some other things. But really, it was a place where they would worship. There was a mercy seat. There was a little bowl on the top where they would put the sac- blood of sacrifices. And, and it was a place of God's presence. It was a place of God's power. And this Ark of the Covenant had been in a remote location for over 20 years had not been with the people. And so God put on David's heart to go and to get the Ark of the Covenant out of obscurity and to bring it into the city of Jerusalem. So this is a big deal. The people are excited. Finally, the presence of God is going to be with us and we're going to be with him. So this is a a really an euphoric, exciting experience. Now, they tried to bring the ark one time. It doesn't really work so well. They, they didn't read the instructions, so things got, kind of went sideways on that. But this second time, they're bringing in the ark of the covenant into Jerusalem, and there's a lot of worship that's going to go on here, and that's what you're gonna, we're going to read about. Uh, however, uh, there's also a moment when David's wife, her name is Michael. Her name, uh, she was the daughter of King Saul, uh, she and David kind of square off and have a little marital spat at the end, all right? So that's always fun to look forward to. All right, so you got that at the end of the story. So that's kind of what we're about to read. Are you with me? Say amen. All right, here we go. Uh, let's just jump right into it now. Second Samuel chapter 6, beginning at verse 12. This is the word of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom, to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who bore the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, he sacrificed an ox and a fatted animal. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought up the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Then when David had finished offering the burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And distributed among all the people the whole multitude of Israel, both men and women, a cake of bread, a portion of meat, and and cake of raisins to each one. Then all the people departed, each to his house. And David returned to bless his household. 
But Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself uh, today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord, and I will make Mary before the Lord. I will make myself even more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes, but by the female servants of whom you have spoken, by them I shall be held in honor. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. Now, this story is really a story of worship. David is a worshiper. David is a true worshiper of God. David loved the Lord, and and David loved to be in God's presence, and David was never really that consumed with what other people thought of him. He was only consumed with what God thought of him. In fact, the Bible says of David that he was a man after God's own heart. And and I believe that God loved David's heart because David pursued God's heart. Did you get that? That God loved David's heart because David was constantly pursuing God's heart. I mean, there was formality and worship in David's day. They would come and make offerings. There were certain priestly robes and certain things that people wore, and there was certain formality in that. And David didn't jettison the formality of worship, but David always pushed through the formality to get to the heart of God. That he always wanted to know God deeply and personally and intimately and to express his heart before the Lord in genuineness and authenticity. And that's what really set David apart, that he, he loved the Lord and he, he, he had a heart for God. He wanted to know him deeply and personally. You know, I was reading a book uh, this week. Uh, it was written to pastors. And basically in the book, it's talking about the pastor's heart, the pastor's soul. And, he, and the author makes a comment. He said uh, that most pastors have what he calls a front stage and the backstage. He said the uh, front stage is what everybody sees on Sunday. It's uh, how you appear before people, how you present yourself, your image, what people think about you. That's the front stage. But he said there's also a backstage and who, who you are at home and who you are on that business trip and who you are when nobody's looking. And he said the problem is when the front stage is different than the backstage, then we have a problem. Then you're starting to present yourself as something you're not. And by the way, that's not just a problem for pastors. That's a problem for all of us, right? You can show up to church and that's front stage. You got your Bible in your armpit and you say, glory, hallelujah, good to believe and meet you, brother and sister and blah, 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 blah. And, and yet you can dog cuss your kids when you get home, right? Now, none of you would do that, but it's possible. And, and so, you know, that front stage, backstage thing can, can be true in all of us. And really, the thing about David is his front stage was the same as his backstage. I mean, he loved the Lord and was passionate to worship when he was by himself writing a psalm, watching sheep, or when he was in front of throngs of people. It didn't really matter. His heart was for the Lord. He loved God. And he really didn't care what other people thought. He only cared what God thought. In fact, we see in this passage really a kind of a raw emotion of David. In verse 14, it says, David danced before the Lord with all of his might. Now, some people have said that David danced naked before the Lord. Okay, that's not true. It actually tells you what he's wearing here. All right, not sure where we got that, but, but what he, it says that he's wearing a linen ephod. 
Now that's important because a linen ephod was just a simple little piece of clothing. It was, you kind of put your head through it and it kind of would drape over, over the front of you down to probably around your thigh or so. And, and it was a simple piece of clothing that usually the priest would wear. Now this is significant because here is David and he's leading the nation in worship of God as a process to Jerusalem and David's not wearing his royal robes. He's not wearing his kingly attire. He's not wearing his crown. He's not wearing all the things that a king would normally wear. Instead, he's got on just a simple priestly garment, a humble garment. And in that moment, David is exuberant and he's overcome with emotion and he just dances and spins before the Lord because he loves God and he's so excited about what God's doing and he's not trying to show off his stripes. He's just trying to honor the Lord. It's a sign of humility and a sign of genuineness before God. But David is, he's just awesome in, he, uh, in his worship and raw in his uh, praise, but he had his critics. And, and some of his critics were in his own house. So after all that, and he worships the Lord, and, and then uh, he hands out food to everybody. I guess this is the first potluck, probably, right here in the Bible. Uh, he hands out food to everybody. And then after that, they go home, and David goes home to bless his house. And as soon as he gets uh, to his uh, address, his wife meets him in the parking lot, in the driveway. Well, 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 well. You really did it now, David. You're just out there spinning around and acting like a fool. I mean, look at how you're dressed. You're not dressed like a king. You're not acting like a king. You're making a fool out of yourself and you're making a fool out of me. And, uh, and you know, David could have said, well, if that's what you think, and he could have gone on, but then David didn't back away from a fight very well, and so he says, yeah, yeah, last time I checked, I was king and not your dad. Those are fighting words right there. It's on like Donkey Kong right now. It's on. And he's like, yeah. And he's saying, by the way, you think I'm foolish here? You haven't seen nothing yet. I could get crazy if I want to in order to worship God. I really don't care what you think. I don't really care what other people think. I'm not trying to carry an image. All I'm trying to do is worship God. And he said, by the way, these people you think despise me, I am honored in their eyes. I'm just not honored in your eyes. What a sad thing, right? Here is a woman that had a husband that loved God, that wants to worship God. And instead of saying, David, man, I'm just so awesome that you're, you're leading our house in worship, she's despising him. Verse 16 says she despised David. But David's heart was for the Lord. David's heart was for God. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to take this passage, and I want to kind of use it as a springboard to talk to you about how we worship. And how do we express ourselves in worship? What is God looking for when we express ourselves in worship? Now, I understand that many of us here come from all different kinds of worship backgrounds. There's some of you that come from a more liturgical worship, where worship is, is more formal and more stoic and more reverent. And then maybe your forms of worship uh, are, are filled with reading certain prayers and reading certain liturgies and, and so on. And, and that is how you grew up, and that's where you connect. And then there are others of you that come from a more wildly expressive kind of worship that all, you know, all, all, all hands are, uh, all bets are off and you're just worshiping any way you want to extremely expressively. And that's okay too. 
We all come from different backgrounds and different stripes, but what is God looking for in our worship and how should we worship the Lord as we express our heart? Now, in, to just kind of get into it, let me give you two thoughts. The first thought is this. God doesn't look for, or God's not really interested in dead worship, all right? All right? God's not looking for a corpse on Sunday. God's not looking for that. God's not interested in that. In fact, to the church at Sardis in Revelation 3, he said, you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. See, God saw their heart, and no matter what they were doing, he knew that they were dead in their heart toward him. And so God's not looking for that. You ever been in a dead church? You ever been in one of those? I mean, you, see, you need a crash cart to get a pulse in some of these places. I, I preach, and I'm like, I'm giving it all my best. They're just looking at me. I'm like, hello, hello, are you with me? Uh, that, that's not what God's fired up about. In fact, I can't see anywhere in the Bible when people are in the presence of God that they do not react. They're either getting down, or they're getting up, or they're doing something, but they're not ignoring him. All right? God's not interested in that. Another thought about this uh, is, is that Jesus really tells us what the Father is looking for. And in, Revelation, uh, in John chapter 4, Jesus said that the Father is actively looking for a certain kind of worshiper. Now, what kind of worshiper is he looking for? He's looking for a worshiper who worships in both spirit and truth. What that means is that God is looking for someone who worships him according to the truth of God's word, how God has revealed himself in the word of God, but then responds to the prompting of the spirit of God. That's both. That means what God says is truth, I receive that, and I respond appropriately as the spirit of God prompts me. That's what God's looking for, spirit and truth, mind and heart. Uh, theology and emotion. It's all together, and, and that's how God has wired us, and that's what God uh, is looking for. And so uh, I want us to talk about how do we uh, worship God? How do we express ourselves uh, before God? We express ourselves in lots of different ways, just in our own regular life, right? If you go into a wedding and a bride comes in, everyone will stand in honor of her. Uh, if you uh, go to a concert, some of you go to a concert, and you'll actually kind of clap and kind of move around a little bit. And you'll even sing the lyrics. You might get your iPhone out and put your, the little, little lighter thing on it and wave it around. I don't know what you do. Anyway, you, you're into it, all right, at a concert. Or I've seen some of you even, uh, even at a football game, when the final touchdown is made or the final uh, field goal that wins the game, hit the victory formation, right, and and chest bump and high five and, and go crazy and celebrate. Now, now listen, we're very expressive in our lives. How weird it would be to not be expressive when we come before the Lord. How strange that would be to not, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who, 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 who deserves all the glory, and we would not even respond in any kind of way that is expressive. So what kind of ways can we express our worship to God? That's what I'm talking about. So let me give you, I'm going to give you, I'm going to kind of drill down on about three different postures of worship. There are many more we could do, deal with, but let me give you three of them very quickly. Here's the first one. Jot this first one down. Uh, here are some postures of worship. One is kneeling. Kneeling. Kneeling is a posture of worship. In Psalm 95, verse 6, it says, come, let us worship 
and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. So to kneel or to bow down, the Hebrew word there is barak. It means, it means to fall on your face, to get low. That this is a, a posture of worship. There are some churches, they do this a lot. They may kneel multiple times in a service, or some of them even have kneeling rails where you kneel down regularly. Uh, that is a legitimate posture of worship. I'll never forget preaching in Guatemala years ago, and there was a, uh, the worship leader was leading worship, and people were worshiping the Lord. And I remember seeing this one woman, she was kind of in the back, and she came down the side, not making any attraction uh, of attention to herself. She came down the side, and she came right up to the edge of the stage, and she just knelt down before God, quietly. I don't know what was on her heart, I don't know what God was doing, but she in that moment knew she needed to bow down before God. I remember uh, when The Passion of the Christ came out. You remember that years ago, the movie? And I had seen a preview of this movie. I'd gone to see a preview of this movie with other pastors and leaders, and it was held in a church in Dallas, and I was in Oklahoma at the time. And uh, so I was sitting there. I, I went by myself, and I was just watching the, the film, and it was so moving, so powerful that at the end of the movie, no one moved. I mean, the the... The credits were scrolling, but nobody moved. Everyone was just in awe of what they had just seen. And all the lights were dim, and a man walked up on the platform, and there were no lights on him, and he just started playing the guitar. And all I could do was get down. I remember slipping out of my seat and just putting my face in the ground in worship of Jesus. There, there are moments in time when we just need to get down. And there are times, even in our church, when I'll, I'll, I'll invite you to come and join me here. Let's get on our knees and cry out to God. And there have been times when we fill this whole front up and up the aisles on our knees crying out to God. And that is good. Why do we do that? Because it's a posture of worship that submits ourselves to the Lord and uh, reveres him. So kneeling is a, a posture of worship. Here's another one, standing. Standing is a posture of worship. You ever go to a courtroom and a bailiff will say, all rise uh, for the honorable judge so-and-so. And, and we do that as a sign of respect and honor for the office. And there are times when we should stand before the Lord. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, during the dedication of the temple, of Solomon's temple, it said this, the priest stood at their post. And Levites also with the instruments for music to the Lord that King David had made for giving thanks to the Lord. In other words, David had actually made certain instruments just for the purpose of worship. And, and they were standing ready to, to worship God. It's interesting when we looked last week at Isaiah 6 and you saw the angels there, they were standing by, by the Lord uh, ready to worship him. So there's a readiness to our standing. Uh, Nehemiah, when he called the people to gather together and worship God, he said this, stand up and praise the Lord your God for uh, uh, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name and may it be exalted above all blessings and praise. In other words, he said, hey folks, we gotta stand, we gotta stand. So sometimes we stand. That's one of the primary reasons why we stand when we sing. 
We don't just stand because we know you're going to be sitting for a while and you need to get the blood flowing, all right? We know that standing is a way to honor the Lord and to come into his presence. It is an active stance. It is a stance of readiness, right, to respond to God in worship. And there are times in our church when we'll be seated and, and we'll be singing a song of worship and there will be people that will spontaneously just stand. And why are they doing that? Because, because that's just in their heart. I mean, have you ever been seated and you're singing a song and you're like, man, I'm going to combust if I don't stand up. I just, I've got to stand up. I, I can't sing this song sitting down. I have to stand. And so it's just a moving of the Spirit of God to stand and to worship the Lord. So sitting, I mean, uh, kneeling is a posture of worship. Standing is a posture of worship. There are many others. You can, sitting is a posture of worship too. I'm not going to get into that one right now, but it was Mary that sat at the feet of Jesus and was mar- marveled at him and worshiped him and adored him. Here's another one, though. Let me give you another one. Raising hands. In the Old Testament and New Testament, uh, raising hands is a posture of worship. In fact, of the seven most often used Hebrew words for worship, two of them are derivatives of the word hand. In other words, you couldn't say the word hand without conjuring up an image of worship in the Old Testament. Uh, One of those words is the word yada, yada. And it means to extend or to raise or to throw out the hand. It's used over 100 times in the Bible, over 50 times in the Psalms. And it's translated praise or thanksgiving. So many times when you read the Psalms and you see the word praise, many times it's this word yada, which means to extend the hand. In fact, uh, we see it in 2 Chronicles 20, 21. Give thanks, yada, to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. Psalm 107, verse 15, let them give thanks, that's the word yada, to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. So yada means to extend the hand, it's translated praise or thanksgiving. There's another word, and it's a derivative of the same root, toda, toda, and it means to lift the hand in adoration or acceptance or confession or thanksgiving. Hebrew words are very dynamic and the context can determine how you translate that word. But we see it in Psalm 50 verse 23. It says, uh, uh, the one who offers thanksgiving, that's todah, as his sacrifice glorifies me. To the one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. So to lift up the hand glorifies me, the Lord says. Psalm 63, 4, I will bless thee as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. Psalm 143, 6, I spread out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you. Psalm 88, 9, I call to you, O Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Lamentations 2.19, arise, cry out in the night as the watches of the night begin. Pour out your heart like water in the presence of the Lord. Lift up your hands to him. Now, those are all uh, Psalms and, and mostly in, all, in the New, all in the Old Testament. Here's one in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 2.8. I want men everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. And lifting up hands was not only in music, but also in prayer. 
So there was a lifting of the hands in music. There was a lifting of the hands in prayer. Whatever it is, you can praise without music, by the way, right? You can just praise with your lips. And so whatever it is, the lifting of the hand was a key part. In fact, if you've ever been to Israel, if you've ever been to Jerusalem, which I have, I watched Hebrews worship. Uh, they're very exuberant. And there's, they're dancing and their hands are up in celebration of all that God has done. So the lifting of the hand is an a posture of worship. In fact, if you look in Rome and you go down the catacombs where many of the early Christians hid out from the Roman persecution, there are etchings on the wall that show worshipers lifting their hands. Now listen, you may say, well, I didn't really grow up in a hand-raising church. That's all right. I didn't either. All right. And by the way, this we're not really a hand raising or a sitting or a standing church either. I mean, we're just, we're just a church, amen, that worships Jesus. And so if you're here and you go, man, I just love to lift up my hand to the Lord, man, if that's a heart uh, prompted by the Spirit of God, then you're free to do that. You say, well, I don't really want to do that, then you're free to not do it, all right? However the Holy Spirit prompts you. But lifting the hand is one posture of worship. Now, there are many others we could talk about. Like I said, we could talk about sitting before the Lord. It's a posture of worship or playing instruments before the Lord or dancing or clapping or, or, or singing or shouting, which are all postures and elements of worship that are mentioned in the Bible. You know, I, I've worshiped with believers in the heart of Zambia. I have worshiped with believers in the jungles of Honduras under a single light bulb in a lean-to in, in the middle of nowhere. I have worshiped in China in a church. I've worshiped in Rome in a cathedral. I've worshiped in Bosnia in an office complex. I've worshiped in, in uh, India in a house. And what I've discovered is that all different kinds of people worship in all different kinds of ways, and it's all is glorifying God. All that God's looking for is your heart, is your heart toward him. Are you worshiping him out of the overflow of your desire, like David, that God loved David's heart because David pursued God's heart? That's what God's looking for. And that's what delights the Lord in worship. Now, let me just say a couple of things to remember as we worship together. Like I said, in our church, there'll be times when we kneel. There'll be times when we stand. There'll be times when we sit. There'll be times some will raise their hands and some won't raise their hands. There are all kind, well, there'll be times when we'll shout and people go, Woo! All right? And there'll, there'll be times when I don't see whistling in the Bible, but if you want to whistle, you can whistle too. All right? Uh, there are all kinds of things like that. As the Spirit of God prompts you, there's freedom in that. But as we express our genuine worship to God, there are a couple of things I want us to be rem reminded of. All right? So let me give you a couple of things. Jot these three things down. Number one is outward expression doesn't always indicate inward devotion. Outward expression doesn't always indicate inward devotion. You get that? So what that means is that if someone is raising their hands or shouting in praise, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're really walking with God. You can do that and not be walking with God. Or you can do that for wrong motives. And conversely, you cannot raise your hands and you could sit quietly during a time of worship and, and that doesn't always indicate that you're disconnected or that you're not interested or that your heart's not toward the Lord. You may be in some of the most profound moments of worship for me is when I was sat in silence because there was no word. 
I had, there was no way for me to respond. So, so outward expression does not always indicate inward devotion. Here's the deal. God knows your heart. God really knows what's going on with you. He knows your front stage and your backstage. And he knows where you are. And he knows what you're facing and what you're dealing with and what you're carrying when you come into this room. And God is the one that knows your heart, and God is the one that understands and receives your praise. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the what? On the heart. On the heart. Second thing I want to remind you of is that worship is calling attention to Jesus, not calling attention to myself. Worship is calling attention to Jesus, not calling attention to myself. Now, we, we talk about that when we talk about uh, Praise team, it's not about you. This is not about you and me in the limelight. This is all about lifting up Jesus, pointing people to Jesus, pointing, uh, uh, making sure Jesus is in the spotlight. So worship by definition is calling attention to Jesus, not uh, calling attention to myself. And, and many times uh, we can inadvertently do that. I remember the church at Corinth. You know, Paul was dealing with the church at Corinth. And the church at Corinth had, uh, they had some good things going on. They had a lot of crazy, messed up things going on that he had to deal with. And one of those crazy things that was going on is that people were coming to worship and they were going crazy. I mean, they were acting out in, in ways that were chaotic. Some were actually getting drunk at the Lord's table, if you can imagine. And then there were others that were coming and they were speaking in tongues and there were others that were speaking on top of those people. And it was just a free-for-all. And Paul said, listen, if an unbeliever comes in and sees that, he's going to think you're absolutely nuts and go out the door. you got to rein this thing in. And in fact, the, the, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. And he said, listen, folks, you've got to have some control in what's going on in your worship. And he actually laid out some protocol. I've actually been in churches that were just like that. There was just like seven things happening at one time, and it was very chaotic, and nobody could really understand anything that was going on. If I had not have been a, a, a believer that was reading the Word, I would, have, I would have run scared to death, all right? And so that, God's not looking for confusion. He's not looking for people seeking the limelight. You may, you may uh, feel like uh, you're, you're, God's moving you in worship and you bring your praise banner and, and you run up and down the aisle with a big praise banner like, like the ones they do with the football stadium, right? And you wave your praise banner. You know what? It, 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 if there were 100 people doing that, that might be all right. But if you're the only one, guess whose people are looking at? And so they, you may be worshiping Jesus. Well, what's that banner thing over there? All right. Uh, so we want to always lift up Jesus, not ourselves. Well, we never want to distract anyone from the glory of Jesus Christ. And so that requires us to use wisdom and discernment and maturity and to just kind of know where you're at. And, and many times to restrict our own freedom for the sake of love for our brother so that we don't distract them from worship. Here's the last thing. Jot this down. We've got to remember to guard our hearts against a judgmental attitude. We've got to guard our hearts against a judgmental attitude. And, and you see this really in Michael, the, the wife of King David. You know, here he is just worshiping God and loving the Lord. And then uh, she just has this, such a bad attitude, right? I mean, you know, he's coming home and she's just, she's just letting him have it. And, and whenever, when the whole nation is worshiping in the streets, glorifying God as the ark is being brought in, she's removed from that. She's not in it. She's watching from a distance. And she's 
despising what she sees. Because you know what? Uh, now, some commentators, we don't really know what all is going on here, but some commentators uh, believe that it's possible that King Saul loved the royalty. He loved the, the pomp. He loved the crown. And, and, and in her mind, a king, that's how he acts. That's how my daddy did it. And that's how you ought to do it. This was her preference of how a king should behave. And when David didn't do that by taking all that off and putting on a linen ephod and leaning, uh, it just, that just rubbed her the wrong way. And so she judged him. You're a fool, David. Now listen, we can do that too. We can be judgmental. We can, you can see somebody raising their hand or worshiping the Lord or tears coming down their eyes and go, oh, give me a break. I mean, they're so emotional. It's got to be so emotional. You know, and, and I judge that person when I don't know them. I don't know what's going on in their heart. Or conversely, you can see someone that's seated. And you think, oh, they, they just don't really you know, get into it. And they, they just don't really love God. And, and if they could only, you know, do something, you know, then, then, then that, would, that would really show that they love God. And, that, and conversely, we judge others. One of the verses that God has really been oftentimes used to rebuke me, right? So I'm just sharing it with you, uh, is Romans 14, 4. It says, who are you to judge another man's servant? He said, each servant answers to his own master. And you know what? Um, in worship, it's not my place to judge what's going on in a person, good or bad. That's God's place. And they answer to him, and they're his servant. And, uh, and it's, instead of having a, a judgmental attitude, you know what I need to do? I need to show love and grace to my brother and my sister. Because I really don't know what's going on in their heart, but God does. And so when we come together, we're very different, and we have all these different backgrounds, and we're all different personalities, and we all have different expressions of worship. But when we come together, we show grace to one another, and we show kindness to one another, and we affirm one another as we set our eyes on Christ. That's what expressive worship looks like. Again, remember, God loved David's heart because David pursued God's heart. And that, that's what God's looking for here. His eyes scan this room to see, is there anybody who's pursuing my heart? Is there anybody here that's pressing in to me and is not concerned about what people are doing around them because they're just seeking 